Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today I have a repeat wonderful veterinarian joining me, Dr. John Robb, who many of you know, who started the Protect the Pets movement. I've asked Dr. Robb to please come back and give us an update. So welcome, Dr. Robb, for you, you've been here before, but I appreciate you coming back. I've had, actually, you were this interview was by popular request. Oh, that's great. Well, it's always a, a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. I know you have a tremendous reach because of the work that you've done over the years in helping so many pets. So uh, I appreciate being able to touch base with those uh, clients as well. Um, you know, the Protect the Pets movement uh, was started in 2006, and it came out of my heart. It's, I, I call it my calling because it was just based on a lack of morality in veterinary medicine. I just saw, you know, what I was taught in school, then I got out and tried to practice, but there were a lot of roadblocks, especially with the medical medicine associations and my the old boys school and uh you know and and, and so it was very difficult um just trying to do the right thing and seeming to be persecuted for it so uh but out of my heart came a time where it was uh i took a break and i said you know what i'm gonna take my my life savings i'm gonna start a movement called protect the pets to bring to transform veterinary medicine and bring morals back and that was in 2006 and uh you know i knew of you then and you didn't hear of me because it it was kind of a slow going at the beginning um, in terms of basically educating pet owners how to get pet safe medicine, how to go into a veterinary hospital and look for red flags, how to tell whether you know they had the best interest of your pet. And that, and of course, even saying that is sacrilegious to vets. I mean, what do you mean? Every vet hospital has the best interest of pets, but you and I both know that's not always true, okay? And especially in the road of over vaccination and uh, you know, we were taught in school, they do no harm, you just shoot them up, do it every year. And of course, then you got into the vaccine associated sarcomas and the immune mediated hemolytic anemias and all kinds of issues, life threatening, sometimes acute anaphylaxis with small pets being overdosed. And so the movement kind of took on a whole nother road when the Mars company uh, came after me and terminated my Banfield franchise. They terminated all the Banfield franchises, but with mine, they looked at my records, so I lowered the volume in, in small dogs, even though I had good titers to support the fact that it, it was immune, immune, you know, was achieved, immunity was achieved. They still went after my license. Then it got in front of the state board, and of course, they said, hey, you got to give a full CC even if you kill your pet. Well, that, that was just nonsense, of course. And so, um, you know, we've gone on from there to, you know, have 26 states up with Protect the Pets uh you know uh, facebook pages encouraging pet owners to take action steps to change the law and so far we've had legislation in seven different states okay um yeah so we've you know we've uh each year we get a little farther a little deeper um but we've come up with opposition and that's the challenge even among people that you think were friendly like dr dodds kind of came against and the rabies challenge fund came against and that was really surprising when I'm showing up in New Hampshire and, you know, all of a sudden the legislature said, well, Dr. Dodds contacted us and they, they don't think titers are the way to go, even though she's been doing titers for 20 years, you know, so that kind of, you know, and I don't, you know, you'd have to ask her why that was, but it was wrong. I think it had to do with the rabies challenge fund and them trying to change to make it a longer period of time. But the truth is, this is very simple stuff, Karen. We vaccinate to produce immunity. 
We can measure that immunity with a, a simple blood test called the titrin. If you've stimulated that immune system that you have circulating antibodies, you can talk to Dr. Schultz. I know you've interviewed him. He mm -hmm. cannot give that pet rabies by challenge. So, you know, this is all nonsense when they try to break it down into a million studies. It's simple science. It's the same as the MMR vaccine in people. You want to go work at a hospital if you're, you know, a, a nurse, and they're gonna—they're not even gonna ask your vaccine history. They're just gonna do a, an MMR titer, and if you're good, you start work because they know that means immunity. And so all this time, this science has been out there, but we continue to shoot these pets up year after year, causing all kinds of issues, completely nonsense. And when I've testified, and I've testified in four different states now. Um, they never present science, they always just use fear tactics, you know, oh, if we do what Dr. Rob said, everybody's going to die of rabies, you know, and, but the legislators are catching on to this. They're seeing me with scientific articles presenting facts, and they're seeing the other side use fear tactics. And on, so we're about to break through in a state, and I'm not even going to mention the state because I want to keep it undercover because I don't want too much coming against because this particular state, Karen, we got through the house clean. They, they passed it and it's going to go to the Senate in uh, January. And if it passes, it'll be the first state where if you have a titer that does show, you know, protection, that they'll get exempt from the rabies vaccine, even without any medical reason. In other words, the titer by itself is reason. And, you know, the challenge for me is there's so many people who are in a positions of authority who know the truth, but they got one foot into the truth and one foot into the system yeah. that yeah. promotes over vaccination that promotes the money with the pharmaceutical companies you know and you and i both know and i know you've been a you've been a real uh fighter for the pets and a and a real blessing to them because you always talked about the titers and the and the over vaccination issues and you've been right on with it and the challenge really comes down to so many vet hospitals this is this is a hundred to two hundred thousand of their base right off the bat you know sure. And they just can't see how they would survive without it. They can't see it. And I understand that. And that's a big issue. Yeah. But I've done only titers here in vaccinated puppies and kittens. And I'm doing just fine. I'm working hard at my new hospital because it's about medicine. But isn't that what we're supposed to be doing, you know? But there's no easy money. And, uh, but that's the challenge, you know? So, Dr. Um, how did you... I know that this is a state... Because each state has different rabies laws this is right. a state by state issue for the seven states that you've had some positive forward motion right how did how did that happen okay what i'd like to do is to get the other states on absolutely board. but but tell us how you achieve success in the seven states that you have well you know basically um there's various ways that it happens but it always starts with people taking action steps okay uh, for the most part, it's been pet owners, educated pet owners. There have been some veterinarians, like in New Hampshire, a veterinarian who used to be a, a state senator, you know, got me involved to help her write the bill and then got it into the New Hampshire uh, legislator there. But, you know, if I have a website, which it's really dedicated to changing the rabies law. And in that website, we have uh, a generic letter that goes over the science, you know, and then we have petitions to have people sign that they want it change the law in their state to honor the titer. And then we have flyers to educate other pet owners. And then, so we have all these 
action steps that people are taking. And then we have the state pages where we have administrators and you know we were getting together more often with my work schedule not so much but we get together and discuss what's working in your state now sometimes karen it comes down to i grew up with you know so and so who's now a legislator and she loves pets so i have a personal connection and that'll make it roll you know then you get people who have had severely vaccine injured pets or dead pets who just it's in their heart and they're not stopping and they've used their own money like Al Casapole in Delaware to put ads in, tell Maggie's story and just, you know, getting, using his own personal finances to get the word out. And then, and, and most of the time, what they need is they need somebody like me or somebody like you who has credentials after their name, who've studied it, who can then talk to the legislators and say, here is the science. Because when a lay person just says, oh, titer equals immunity, they don't know. So you need some backing. So that's where I've come in, is to come in and show the science, to talk personally with these legislators. So it's coming basically by action steps from pet owners, writing their legislators, getting other pet owners involved through the Protect the Pets pages, which we have pages for each state and more to come. And, uh, and then, you know, the good Lord upstairs who opens a door, you know, um, and that's kind of how it is. So what I'd like to see happen from our chat here today would be to get pen owners continue to take those action steps. And my email is readily available, my office number. When it gets to the point where you got a legislator who's listening, that's where I can come in and say, look, this is, this is real. Here's the science and break it down for them. Um, so that's basically it. Action steps. Good. who you know but not i mean there's town meetings everybody there's town meetings where a legislator you know breakfast yeah. show up you know yeah. and say hey you know i want to talk about the rabies law. i want to talk about the fact that we should be blood testing to check a titer and we don't need to give them a shot every year and then of course you and i who've been vaccinated who you know if we've got circulating antibodies we're not going to go in and get another shot because we'll get sick like dr wellborn said who's head of the vaccine task force he said I'm not going to do it if I have a protective titer because I'll get sick. And then I say to Dr. Wellborn, well, what about the, you go back into the exam room and then you shoot up a pet without checking tire? goes, it's the law. It's like Dr. Dodd said, you have to give one CC to the small pets because it's the law, even though I know they don't need it. But you see, that's where I differ. Right. I took an oath that's greater than the law. You can't pass a law that would make veterinarians injure their patients for no medical reason. And yet, this is going on right now in exam rooms across this country. It's become commonplace. Where are the vets standing up? That's what I want to say, Karen. You're standing up, I'm standing up. But we've got a petition in Arizona to go to veterinarians now and say, listen, you got to stand up. You got to start practicing your oath. You got to do things for the right reason. So we're hitting it from all sides, the vets, the clients, the researchers, but then people like you know, Susan Moore, Dr. Dodds, they have pulled, they've got to stop with the one foot in, one foot out, okay? You know, you can't do things for money. <laughs> well, you got to do things for the heart. Money will follow, but you can't, you know what I'm saying. I do, and I think part of, part of integrative researchers like Dr. Dodds, their statement is we would have to, and I get it, they want a, you know, a double-blind placebo-controlled trial of quarter-dose vaccines to prove that. And that is fantastic, but then that is maybe phase three of Protect the Best. I mean, you, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars to do 
testing to prove right. that a reduced dose is equally as effective. You and I have proved that by un underdosing and then right. and we right. we know that because right. we've we've done our own our own system of testing. But in order to scale that to be right. able to show our professional peers they're going to want to study. And so it is incredibly frustrating. John, how often are you being hit with um, people are so confused between wisely vaccinated pets and anti-vaxxers? So I have been called an anti-vaxxer. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Right, right, but the right. second you bring up any question pertaining to vaccines, you're kind of all lumped into that anti-vaxxer category. Well, That's something that, that you are plagued with? You know, we, we know it's just propaganda. We know that those who come against, they take a little bit of the truth and then they manipulate it to make it what it's not. And we know that's exactly what that is. So I might say one sentence, I might make one statement, but I basically ignore them and call it what it is. You know, you're just manipulating the truth. And we're talking about vaccinating appropriately for rabies, distemper, and parvo, which is the only vaccines I believe we should do. And vaccinating appropriately means smallest volume to produce a titer and then measure it and never vaccinate again as long as it stays protective. And you're right. I mean, you know, but here's the thing. See, I don't agree with this idea of, the, of having to do a double blind study with a, first of all, if the pharmaceutical companies had, had a heart for the pets, they would have done it before they even started. They wouldn't have just said, give a, you know, and, and, but here's the thing, you know, there was a good write-up in JAVMA about six years ago, and it basically said what we veterinarians in the field have to do is we have to take multiple scientific studies and put them together to get the conclusion, okay? And that's really how it is. And mm -hmm. I've done that. I have multiple studies. So for instance, there's a study that shows the titer goes up as the weight goes down, all getting one cc. Okay, so there you go. That tells you it's dose dependent right there, okay? Titer goes up as the weight goes down if they get one cc. So, and then you have a study out of Sweden where they, it was rabies titers and they, and they recommended revaccinating the Labrador who weighed 100 pounds because his titer was lower rather than he had a good titer, lower the dose for the smallest pet instead of giving the lab two cc's. You see what I'm saying? So, so that study told us that, okay? And then you had the challenge studies, the French study 25 years ago, which showed by challenge that if they had, you know, uh, circulating antibodies, you couldn't give them rabies. So we know by the challenge studies that the, it works. We know it's dose dependent because of the titers. We, we, we put these articles together. And then, you know, you talk about adverse events and how often, you know, well, forget about how often. Let's just agree they occur. If they and occur. And that's also, let's also agree that veterinarians don't report them. Veterinarians, we are all exhausted. We are right. all put in 12 hours. All of us have seen adverse events that we have not reported. All of us. So the number of, of adverse events are far greater than what's reported for flea and tick, for vaccine, for all of the chemicals we're using in veterinary medicine. Hardly any veterinarians report it unless the client's threatening lawsuit. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, yeah. another, that's another thing that we've launched. Um, Patty Coyne out of Arizona, again, helped get that off the ground. Good. So we, we've outlined on the website exactly how you report it because you don't 
trust that your veterinarian is going to do it and they're not. And anyway, we don't want to be the bad guys. We gave something, now they're reporting it. We want it to go away. And that's understandable. And you're right, I didn't report vaccine reactions for years. But at the same time, I will tell you this. Talk about hemolytic anemia, just a quick anecdotal story. When I was, when Mars was suing me, when they took my hospital away because I lowered my volume, I was allowed to ask interrogatories. So the question I asked at your 899 hospitals, how many pets die of hemolytic anemia every year compared to my hospital? And it was astronomically different, okay? They had like, you know, 3,000 deaths and I had one. Okay, so I can tell you right there, hemolytic anemia is real. It's caused by overdosing and overvaccination. And, uh, you know, but these things are kept out of the mainstream. But I know, and I've seen enough and I get enough reports. So these reactions occur. But like I said, let's just say they occur. And if they occur one in 10, one in 100, one in a million, why put it at risk if you could do a simple blood test and say they're already immune? They don't need it. And that's what upsets me a little bit too. And, Kansas State will write, here's the reasons to, to check a titer. One, if the pet has a condition, you don't want to revaccinate. See, I don't get into all that. If the pet's already immune, you don't want to revaccinate. Yeah. Period. Exactly. Why, why are we waiting to create vaccine-induced disease to, to write an exemption, right? Right, right. Proactive wellness means, yeah, my pet is fine. I'm not going to put them at risk of additional vaccine. Yeah. It's it's really simple. They complicate it. That's what they do. They complicate it. They use medical terms that complicate it. And the average person gets lost, but it's really simple. We know we vaccinate to produce antibodies. That's the response of the immune system. We know the the, the lymphocytes, the C cells, the B cells, one, one gets it recorded and then the B cells produce. If you can measure any, you've done it. The immune system is now primed and ready to defend itself against that virus. End of story. Like Dr. Schultz said, it, we shouldn't even put a number on it. It shouldn't be 13, 12.1. It should be any measurable is just as a pregnancy test. You are or you're not. That we're confusing people with the levels, how long they last. You and I, I don't know about you, but I'm out 34 years and I'm still good on my titer. So come on now. So. And you know, are you titered? Um, do you, I, I don't go for rabies titers every year. I know we're supposed to, but I don't. Do, are you, do you titer yourself every year or no? You know, not every year. I think I probably titer myself six or seven times. Often at a CVMA event, they'll have a little tent there where you can go in and get your titer done exactly. and I'll pop in and do it. And I did it like five years ago and it was, you know, the highest it could be. So exactly. I'm not even worried about it, you know, no. but the point is, you know. and, and that's the other thing is that for me, when I was vaccinated at 13 because I did wildlife rehabilitation. So when I was okay. my second day of orientation at the Iowa State College of Veterinary Medicine, it was the day that all the kids got vaccinated. And thank God I was for some reason at the back of the line and they're like, hey, has anyone here ever been vaccinated before? And I raised my hand and they said, step out of line. This okay. is damaging. And I thought, isn't it interesting that they respect wow. the immune system enough to recognize they needed to be tighter for rabies, but we don't extend that same courtesy to our pets, right? We And that was a lot of years ago. It was. It Not was. that you don't look young still. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that, that's the other thing is people are now nervous that they're missing their annual rabies titer. Yes, of course, tighter, tighter annually for rabies, that's fine. But the truth is protective immunity doesn't wear off you know, for the vast right. majority of cases. Um, there are instances sometimes where weird things happen, but all in all, 
most mammals carry protection for life in most instances. And that's something that I feel like our profession either doesn't want to recognize or has decided not to recognize in lieu of the fact that, like you said, this is a foundational moneymaker for the vast majority of veterinarians. Let's, let's face it, you know, vets look the other way. I'm, I'm telling you, you know, my last stint at a, another hospital, which I won't name, you know, I, I'm not allowed to give the rabies shot because I did the evil thing of lowering the volume for a smaller pet and finding out by a titer that it was good, you know, but I'm okay with that. That's a whole nother story with Mars. And that's, they're really the, uh, the nemesis now because they're just coming into this whole profession just to make money. And they are just trying to take over and they're indoctrinating veterinarians and with all kinds of, you know, tests they have to run and levels they have to get. And, you know, we've got to do something about that too. But, but the point is, in terms of working at a hospital and watching the other vets and see how they dealt with the reactions that they saw, you know, small dog, two vaccine, goes home, you know, face swells up, they come in and they say, well, you know, um, probably got stung by a bee or could have been this, but you know what I'm saying? But, but they're all of these, and then they're saying, well, it could be an infection, but they always get that cortisone shot in there because they know what's really going on, but they don't want to say it. And this is what's going on out there. So if we know these are happening, especially the anaphylactis when they die, I mean, there's so many cases of anaphylaxis where the pet dies and that's very sad, but you know, the vets still, they kind of know what's going on, but they just don't want to admit it. And I don't get, I mean, it took me a while. Don't get me wrong. I was brought into that system. I had to see it. I had to stop, but the protect the pets movement started because it's a calling. And I will say it's a calling from God. I have to say that people may not like that, but he's set this whole thing up, even with Mars. I mean, I had, you know, the Art Anton over my house for dinner back in the eighties, you know, they started VCA, Art, Bob, you know, I know Dr. Stevens who started the pet insurance. I know all the players, Mars, I owned a Banfield, so I dealt with them. So I kind of know all the players on a personal level, which really gave me a, a the big picture of what's going on in my industry so that I could drive the change. Nobody can pull the wool over my eyes. When I speak to pet owners and the public, they're getting the truth and they know it, you know? So, so no matter what they want to do, like you said, in terms of, you know, um, labeling me an anti-vaxxer or, or saying it's, you know, they said, oh, he lowered the volume so he could double the doses of the rabies and make more money. I mean, they say whatever they want to say, you know what I mean? But the truth is the truth. And no matter what, it sticks because it's real and the lies always eventually come to the top. So we're just going to keep on going. We will break through. We will break through soon in one state and then it will roll down and every state will change. It well, is coming. The, the fact that you've made good legislative inroads in seven states is also no small feat. I mean, that that it's hard. It's hard to change law. It's hard to change regulations. It's hard to shift people's. It's hard to re to re-educate people into a yes. choice. Um, absolutely, it's hard. It's hard to help veterinarians understand that you can make money being a proactive veterinarian. You don't have to rely on disease and degeneration. People will actually pay you to keep their pets well. Um, and that's a shift in mindset. But that's right. Without well, vaccinating. Yeah, without that. That's right. <laughs> and, then that's right. and then animals are always going to get sick. And, yeah. you know, that's where my focus is, you know. And so you're always going to have a job. Again, it's hard work, you know. These people love them and it's life and death situations. And we're always on, I don't know about you, but 
I make diagnoses at three in the morning because my mind is still going, you know, because you can never let a case go until you've solved it or, you know, they've made them better. And, but, you know, you're absolutely right. But, you know, one of the things I'll take is yes, what drives a change? How are we doing this? In one state where the Veterinary Medical Association came in the first year, the state vet came in all fear tactics, but I was there giving real numbers, handing articles. The second year, a senator who heard me speak and saw the number of pet owners who came in to testify, there were more than 100. They came in one by one and gave their story, okay? Then that senator contacted the, the Veterinary Medical Association and said, lay off. Contacted the state vet said, stay out. And the second year, they didn't show up. So you see, sometimes it's somebody's got power and who you know, and when they start asserting it, that's when things happen. So that's the state where I hope we're gonna break through this year. Um, we've got it through the House. We're going to the Senate in, uh, in December, January. And if it goes through there, again, it'll be an exemption, but the exemption will simply say, if they have a good titer, they don't need the rabies shot. Won't have anything to do with health. And once that titer is recognized what it is, indicating immunity, then it's gonna snowball into, hey, we should be doing titers. I've been writing certificates for a long time now. I write rabies immunity certificates. I make them sign a statement saying it's not a, a lawful document, but it's a true document and it should be, but you're welcome to use it as you will. And people have been using it for various things. I write the distemper parvo certificates that helps them at grooming facilities, et cetera. And then I've been doing titers very inexpensively. At first I was doing it below cost, so, you know, but now, you know, I make a $20 margin, but we've done close to 3,000 of them, okay? Mm -hmm. Kansas State, um, a couple of years ago, these aren't exact numbers, but let's say they did 1,000 two years ago, now they're doing 11,000. The number of vet hospitals that are signing up, because I don't want to be doing these titers, but until the vet hospital, see, people go in, they say, listen, if you sign up with a diagnostic account at Kansas State, your cost will be 27 for distemper parvo, adeno, and for rabies, 35. Now you can, and you get a free shipping label and it's all done online. Sign up and offer reasonable titers. The ones who won't do it are the ones who don't want to do it because let's face it, if they start doing titers, Karen, and they start seeing they're immune, they can't walk into the next room and not offer them a titer. And that, so that's why they won't do it. But the ones that are doing it are coming in record numbers. So Kansas State has had to hire more people. So it's happening. I mean, if you and I never talked about this again, it's, I'll call it a runaway train. It's okay. The people know the truth and they're going to go forward, but I'm still in it. You're still in it. We're going to keep pushing this until we get it done. Fantastic. I think, I think one of the most important things you mentioned is that you had to show up to some of the, you have to show up, you know, multiple years in a row. So this is not That's a, right. you know, you just are keeping at it slow, but consistent That's right. towards the goal. And I think that that says a lot. That's the key right there is people say, oh, it didn't pass. Well, so what? We yes. have the truth. That's right. Animals are sick. And don't forget, so many people are taking action steps in terms of getting titers and stuff that pet lives are being saved by the hundreds of thousands from the movement already, especially when it comes to distemper parvo and getting rid of Lyme and lepto vaccines, which don't work. And then, you know, so we're saving lives while the movement's going on. Certainly the end result of changing the rabies law will be the ultimate, 
but we're, we're, we're saving lives while we go forward. And you're right. There's no stopping. I don't care if I'm 90 and it hasn't gone through and it's 35 years from now, I'm still knocking on the door. I say, you guys, let's do this. So there's no giving up people. Listen, we walk without fear. We're walking in the truth and we don't stop no matter what. If you have that attitude, we win period. And people need to stand up. They do a tighter, their dog's immune. The city is saying, you got to do this. Sue the city, get in front of a judge, say, judge, here's the information. Why would I have to give my pet an injection that has no medical benefit and could kill him? Tell me why I'm not doing this. Make noise. You know, that's what drives a change. Not sitting there and being a victim say, I guess I have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. If I wouldn't be in front of you, if I just did it, you know what I'm saying? We don't sell out and we don't negotiate. And There's I no think, negotiation. I think that, Dr. Rob, that is probably one of the biggest uh, attributes to the movement that you've started yeah. is you have empowered pet parents to realize, I really wish I had a backing, but there are no one behind me. I'm going to do this myself. There you and go. I think that that has been incredibly, not just empowering to pet parents, but your entire grassroots movement has been built on pet parents deciding if they don't open their mouths and become a part of this, more pets are just going to die. And so the great thing is that I think sometimes the pet parents are kind of soliciting their their integrative veterinarians or their holistic vets saying, listen, I'm going to go do this. You need to come with me. And I think that that's another really important piece. We need to work in getting state holistic veterinary medical associations or state yes. integrative uh, medical associations involved. I think that yes. that's a great collaboratory effort. Yeah, you're right. The, the vet should really be the driving force behind this movement because we know the science and we know the truth. So it's a shame that we are not, you and I are, but we're just two. There are others, but really the holistic vets are the ones that are making the effort and the mainstream vets are just staying behind the scenes. And then you have so many associates who know the truth, but their job depends on them doing it. And, you know, fired. Yes, of course. You know what I'm saying? So I understand all that, but I was in that position and believe me, I was terminated and I took a hit and I was in front of the state board and I could have gone on probation for a year and just said, yeah, I did wrong, but I had to put my license on the line. I still have it, you know, and thanks to the good Lord, I still have it. But then people know, look, this guy is real. Why would he do this? There's no, he's not making any money. What is he doing this for? Because it's my calling. And I thank God that, you know, when I die, I'm going to, I'm going to leave a legacy, right? That's what we should be trying to do. Leave a legacy of doing good. And my profession, changing the rabies law is, is, the, is the legacy that I'd like to leave. And uh, I mean, I'm not done there. You know? yeah. <laughs> I got a few years left there. Start. A really good start. Yeah. But it's a good start. But, you know, I'm really thankful. I hope this encourages pet owners, like you said, to continue to go in and challenge their veterinarians with the science and say, look, I won't do this. You know, we hit mainstream. There was an, I forget which journal it was. It's a, you know, one of the business journals, but a vet wrote a nice article. I published it. It said, listen, you guys need to wake up. People want titers. Okay. If you don't wake up soon, you're going to lose clients because they're going to go elsewhere. So when I saw that in mainstream, I said, we're getting there. We are on our way here. So
Thank well, God. if you just think about the fact that you've had seven states in, you know, in just, you know, a decade, you're doing actually remarkably well. It may not feel as fast as you would like it to go, but really right. you've had, you've had noticeable shift in culture, education, yes. laws. I mean, you're, you're getting it done one step at a time. So I love this update. I also hope that this inspires pet parents to recognize that even if you don't have an integrated veterinarian where you live, you can, it is our job as guardians of the animals that live in our home to make the best immunologic decisions for them. Yes. So that may not understand why you want this, but that's okay. It's your pets, not their pets. So your job is to make the best decisions for the animals in your care. And if you uh, believe that, uh, that pets, additional vaccines are totally unnecessary and could harm your pet, especially if you have an animal that's aging, any medical condition whatsoever, the worst thing you could ever consider doing is just wantonly going in and getting any vaccine. So when I think when pet parents hear this, it makes it resonates with them because it's common sense. We don't go in every year for a measles, mumps, rubella till the day we die. It's common sense. There you go. People start thinking about it, they logically want to ask questions. And if your vet can't answer the questions, then by default, I guess you will agree to titer until your vet can answer the questions. Not agree to vaccinate, agree to titer. Yeah, and you're making a good point about some vets are just busy in their practice. They're not really keeping up with this stuff. They, they really don't know, but that's why if the pet owner can bring in some articles that they can read, that that's helpful. But you know, the saddest thing is when people know it's wrong, they go in and tell the vet, but they push, 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 then they do the shot and they get sick. And you and I, probably the biggest heartbreak for me is you and I have dozens and dozens. I will never forget my awesome Akiva client who was in Illinois and I got her over GME, granulomatous mm -hmm. meningoencephalitis, yes. vaccine-induced GME. Absolutely. Absolutely. We pulled that dog through. And I said, you can, if this dog gets another vaccine, she will die. And she said, I would never do that. And she moved from Chicago to Florida. And she said, uh, she said, listen, I want you to put on the top of my dog's charts, no vaccines, right. ever, my dog will die. And they took her dog in the back for a nail trim and came out and said, hey, we knew that your dog was, you know, behind, so we gave it a parvo distemper, adenovirus, parent was a little and a rabies. That dog was dead in 24 hours, and devastating to me, devastating to the owner, because sometimes you don't even consent, and it's done. That's very sad, and, and you're right. That's also something I, I hear quite often, where they took it to the back and came back and said, I gave it, and the owner's a gasp, but I didn't know, okay, that, you know, yes. or they go in for a procedure, and they look that it's due, and they give it while they're doing a medical procedure, you know, which is even worse to double load like that, so, no, no you're right, it, it's, it's gotten so commonplace, and, uh, but, but it's turning around, Karen, I mean, this is a very positive program, because we're talking because pet owners are driving the change and we're here to support them in that and know that we're walking in the truth and we'll give them the help that we can but ultimately eventually we'll start to win even in the veterinary community and then we'll be the heroes but for now we're we're the um the, the rebels i guess you'd say going up against the industry but it's it difficult. It is difficult because my heart, I'm, I'm by nature a pacifist. As a human, I am the least confrontational. I just want everyone to get along. However, I do 
Um, I have to stand for what I know to be true in my heart, which means oftentimes I'm going against the grain of what I was taught in veterinary school. But I have to be true to myself and you are in the same boat. So it is nice when you're able to bump in and support other professionals that have walked a similar path in that you are doing something that is not traditional, uh, but yet you know in your heart you're called to do it. So we are in the same boat in that situation. It is also refreshing, and I think sometimes we're given little breaks in seeing the evolution occur before us as our own soul food to be able to keep going. So these conversations are good for us as well. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, like I said, I so appreciate you have me on the air and, and, uh, you know, I so appreciate all the pet owners out there and, and your pets. Of course, that's where it starts. Look them in the eye. What if it were me? What would I want done to me? And if every vet asked that question and then did what they, what they'd want done to themselves, they'd stop right in their tracks. You and I both know that they would never allow four injections into their bodies every year, every three years, it wouldn't do it. So that's where the problem lies. And this is why you and I are talking. And I know that one day our next video will be, we'll be celebrating the passing of the rabies law and uh, changing to accept the titers. And then we'll move on to the next fight. We will. So I'm looking forward to our next chat. Congratulations on your current seven eight states, John. And I look forward to catching up with you in a few years. We're going to, our next check-in, let's aim for 25 states. That sounds good. Okay, okay Karen. In the meantime, good luck. Thank you so much and God bless you, Karen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.